Uh, good morning. How are we? Good. Hands up if you love the church. Hands up if you love the Holy Spirit. Hands up if you love the Holy Spirit and the church. We are going to love my sermon this morning because we're in the creed and it's all going to be about the better words talks about the Holy Spirit and the church. I love the church in Acts chapter 2, don't you? Uh, I love that it didn't matter whether you're young or old, didn't matter if you're male or female, didn't matter what background or class you were from, God poured out his spirit on all peoples. Don't you want to be part of that? Love that. And when God pours out his spirit, there's signs and there's miracles and there's wonders and there's salvations. In fact, on that day in Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people get saved. 3,000 people. Don't you want to be part of that? That's what I want to be part of. But it got me thinking. What would you do if 3,000 people turned up at church next Sunday? What would you do? Well, you'd need a bigger car park, wouldn't you? Definitely need a way bigger car park. I think we'd need a bigger building or a bigger venue. I'm thinking that we could just take over Dobby's and Junction 1. Everyone I'm talking to is talking about Dobby's at the minute. Apparently it's the biggest Dobby's in the universe or something like that there. I don't know. We'll take over that next Sunday. Um, I'd love us to hire out golf buggies, dispatch the interns and the elders to come and pick us up on our cars, because who wants to walk with 3,000 other people towards church? Not me, no thank you. Some of you will already have stopped at Junction 1's drive through coffee option, and you'll walk into church with your eco-friendly reusable cup with your beverage of choice. But for the rest of us who actually like real coffee, we'll... Yes, well, <laughs> well, yes, preach, preach. That's the end of the sermon. Amen. I release you to have good coffee. <laughs> we'll hire a professional hipster barista. He'll be on site or she will be on site with an endless supply of cinnamon swirl buns. We'd need some state-of-the-art LED wall-to-wall screens, I think. Or maybe two of those big, you know the LED spheres they have in Las Vegas? Let's get a couple of those on the go. Let's get the state-of-the-art sound system. Don't worry if you're a leader in the church and you're hyperventilating in the car park. I'm not sure if John's back from Bangor yet. But if he's heard that, he's probably hyperventilating in the car park. Because I've just blown the church budget for the next 20 years. uh, Just on screens and lights. Uh, But 3,000 people, these 3,000 people are very, very keen to tithe. They've already scanned the QR code and they're busy giving. (laughs) At 11 a.m. sharp, the worship band will slow motion run onto the stage. After all, 3,000 of us have counted down to 10. John will appear through a cloud of smoke, smoke machines. (laughs) He will give the announcements, or we'll try and save some money because I'm all about saving money. We could just let people fape along the front of the church. (laughs) Does the same thing. Does the same thing. And as Mike comes to preach, he'll be... Lift it through a hole in the floor, and glitter cannons will pop all over Dobby's. I do have to admit, I did get slightly distracted this week by dreaming up what church might look like if 3,000 people turned up next week. So a lot of effort went into that part, and then the rest of the sermon's all downhill from there. But I don't know about you, I think that would be a pretty awesome way to spend a Sunday. What would be your ideal church service? What was a perfect church to you? What would you keep and what would you throw away? What do you like and what don't you like? 
realistic question, what is the perfect Sunday church for you? Bearing in mind, bearing in mind that all 3,000 people might not agree with you. We're in the creed. And uh, what I'd love us to do this morning, because this is all related, I see, to a preach. Uh, I'd love us this morning to stand and say the creed together. It should come on a screen uh, beside me. I'd love us to stand and recite this together. The, the church I'm preaching at tonight, uh, the church I used to work in, uh, we used to say this every single Sunday morning. And we would all would stand together and we'd all recite this together. So I'd love us to say the creed together. We'll sit, I'll pray, and then we'll actually do some preaching. So all together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Go ahead and take your seat. God, I want to pray this morning that you would come in the way that only you can by your spirit. This is a preach about a time when God interrupted a church. And God, I pray that you might do that today. I pray that you might come and by your Holy Spirit move and interrupt. And maybe we turned up this morning and we're just here to tick a church box that we've been. Maybe we turned up this morning and it's been an up and down week and we're not really expecting to encounter, encounter anything or for anything to change or for anything to happen. But I want to pray, God, that you'd meet with us this morning. Whether we think we wanted that, whether we think we deserve that, I just pray that you would just come into this place right now. Presence of God fall. Presence of God fall thick and fall heavy and fall glorious in this place and interrupt. And I'm willing for you to interrupt my preach. I'm willing for you to do whatever. In fact, I don't even need to be willing. You are just God and we, we allow you to come. So come. Come. Come and have your way. We ask this your name and everyone said? The creed is a statement of faith. It's a biblical or theological statement of faith. It basically says, this I believe or this I trust. And as I said, around the world, around the world, people recite this every single week. And it's a statement or a declaration that's supposed to unite believers around teaching that we can all agree on. But, and this might come as a bit of a shock to you, church is not always good at uniting around things. We're better at pointing out the differences in things. That's why today you have 45,000 denominations around the world. 45,000. You have about 2 billion Christians around the world and they are fragmented into 45,000 denominations. All because we can't agree. We just can't agree. I think it's really sad. I think it's really sad because we can all learn from each other. So we go back to the church or the question. What is the church? What is the church? Is it style? Is it location? Is it cinnamon swirls in the lobby and glitter cannons? Is it traditions? Is it statements of faith? Is it ancient rituals? 
Is it a brand, or is it a tribe, or is it a denomination, or is it people? And if it is people, then what types of people, and all those peoples represented here this morning, or represented in our churches around Northern Ireland, Ireland, the globe? I want us to look at a church in 1 Kings chapter 8, and it's a church or a temple that Solomon built. So a king called Solomon is very famous for building this temple of God. This is a temple that's, uh, and I know today, I'm just going to interrupt myself. When a preacher starts talking about the temple of God today, that can be quite a controversial thing. I'm not trying to be controversial. I don't want to be controversial. And this isn't anything to do with politics or religion or anything, okay? I just want to look at what God did when he turned up at a church in 1 Kings chapter 8. So you have this temple that was located on the highest vantage point so that everyone around could see. The footprint of this church engulfed two football fields. This is a building project that took seven years. It employed 180,000 people to build it. Inside was completely covered in gold. The outside was covered in stones and rubies and rare gems. It's estimated that it might have cost anything from 150 billion to 160 trillion dollars in today's terms. 150 billion to 160 trillion dollars in today's terms. And I don't know if you knew this, but you've gotten invited to the opening ceremony. So me, you turned up, you weren't prepared for an opening ceremony, but you're at an opening ceremony this morning. And we're in one king's chapter 8, and I'm going to start reading from verse 6. It should come up on the screen, or you could have your Bible open in front of you. Then the priest carried the ark of the Lord's covenant into the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place, and placed it beneath the wings of the cherubim. The cherubim spread their wings over the ark, forming a canopy over the ark and its carrying poles. These poles were so long that the ends could be seen from the holy place, which is in front of the most holy place but not from outside. They are still there to this day. Verse 9, nothing in the, there was nothing in the Ark of the Covenant apart from two stone tablets that Moses had placed in it at Mount Sinai, where the Lord made a covenant with his people of Israel when they left the land of Egypt. When the priests came out of the holy place, a thick cloud filled the temple of the Lord. The priests could not continue their service because of the cloud. For the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple of the Lord. A thick cloud filled the temple of the Lord. The priests could not continue their service because of the cloud. For the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple of the Lord. That, that's literally like me just stopping preaching right now and everything stopping in this place and just the presence of God coming thick and heavy and glorious in this place. Can you imagine that? Do you want that? Are you expectant that that might happen this morning? And not just in this place. I often hear people say that there is a presence of God. When you walk into this place, there's a presence of God. I even heard someone say that when you're in the car park outside and you go to the car, you can feel the presence of the God, of God. But what if it was to flood out of here into our town, into our cities, into our province, into our island and beyond? Do you want that? Do you want that? Well, in this chapter, for 480 years, God's people 
had a way of worshiping. They didn't go to a permanent temple. They went to uh, a portable tabernacle or tent. So they'd set it up. They'd be there for a bit. When they moved on, they'd pack it all away and they'd do the same thing again. Set it up, pack it away, and repeat. This is the first time that they have this amazing, luxurious temple of God. So here we are. We're all sitting and someone's, the big massive scissors have cut through the ribbon. And there are literally millions of people who have gathered. And they're all cheering and they're dancing and they're standing and kids are on adults' shoulders. And the smart people came early in that morning and they brought their deck chairs and they've lined along the streets. This is a day that you'd never forget. Because remember, we've never done church like this before. It's not like this morning, we know how to do church. I don't don't know, you may have been here several times, you may have been here for years. This is the first time that they've ever done church like this before. And off in the distance, can you see them? There's four priests and they're coming carrying the Ark of the Tabernacle. They're way over there. It's kind of faint, but they're making their way slowly towards us. Their rhythmic steps get replaced with another sound. Because in 2 Chronicles 5, which basically tells the exact same story as 1 Kings 8, but adds a little extra detail on it. In 2, King, or 2 Chronicles 5, it says that there's a hun- two, 120 other priests that are ahead of the four priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant. And these other 120 priests are all carrying trumpets, blowing trumpets. 120 trumpet-blowing priests. There's a worship band you never knew you needed. <laughs> Finally, the last priest comes into the temple sets down the Ark of the Covenant and there's complete silence. You can hear a pin drop. Complete and utter silence. You can no longer see what's happening inside because this is about 2,600 years ago and there's no live stream for us to follow. All you can do is just wait for the priests. You wait for them to do their traditions and their rituals and their duties. The traditions and rituals and duties that they've been doing for 480 years. And to you, it doesn't really matter what the priests are doing inside. That's just the priestly stuff. That's just the boring stuff. Everybody's eyes are on what's happening outside. Everyone is impressed by this one-of-a-kind church that we've just built. Everyone is relieved. Everyone just breathes that sigh of relief and goes, "Ah, everything went without any hiccups. Everything was good. Center stage, center stage is this temple. Center stage is this church, this once-in-a-lifetime opening ceremony. That right there is the showstopper moment in our story. But then you hear a commotion, and you look, look, there's a priest. The priest comes running out of the temple. And then another priest runs out of a temple, and another runs out of the temple, and that's never a good sign when priests are running out of temple. (laughs) And then you read 1 Kings 8, 10, 11. A thick cloud filled the temple of the Lord. The priests could not continue their service because of the cloud. Proceedings in our story gets interrupted by a cloud. That's strange, isn't it? That's annoying, isn't it? Like of all the churchy, technical things that could go wrong, it's a freak microclimate that interrupts our service. No one, no one saw that one coming. No one. We did the sound check. We ran through that. The worship leader turned up. They brought their 120 trumpets with them. 
Big screens, oh, everything's sorted, everything's ready, everything's been ticked off. No one expected this. And everything gets shut down. Everything. What is going on in this passage? Two things that we have to draw out. One is the Ark of the Covenant that these four priests are carrying. And the second one is, in fact, that cloud that turns up. The Ark of the Covenant. In the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant was the visible sign of God's presence with his people. So really simply, if the ark is there, then the presence of God is there. And whenever the Bible talks about a cloud, it usually is pointing to the glory, the Shekinah glory or the presence of God. So if the cloud's there, then the glory of God is there. If the ark is there, the glory of God is there. If the cloud is there, the presence is there. If the ark is there, the cloud or the, the presence is there. So rather than this being an inconvenient interruption, it's actually a double portion of the presence and the glory of God. So it's no wonder the priests couldn't do what they were supposed to do. 480 years interrupted by the presence and the glory of God. I love that. I do love that. I was listening to Bill Johnson, who was introducing this year's prophetic conference at Bethel, and he said this at the very beginning he's doing the introduction. God is restoring an awe and wonder. God is restoring the awe and wonder. We're in a season when people are starting to lay down all the stuff that used to wow us. You know, the stuff that makes us excited or amazed or gives us those warm fuzzies inside. We're laying all of that down and God is restoring the awe and wonder of himself. John Wimber once said, we don't seek God's power, we seek his presence. His power and everything, everything else we need is found in his presence. So when the glory of God shows up, everything fades, everything stops, everything bows, everything is interrupted, everything gets refocused through this lens of what is truly significant and what is truly important. And in the kingdom of God, God never ever gives his glory to bricks or people or human effort. It's only to himself. And what could be a greater uniting force? To unite around the presence of God and the glory of God. Like surely if we could get both of those right and together, everything would be sweet. Well, you'd think that. And I do believe that if you get both those together, it works. But also if you were to go 367 years from 1 Kings chapter 8, you know that massive big church that we're all in awe of? that we had this encounter with God at 367 years later, it was no more. Spiritual decline, financially, spiritually, and that church was no more. 367 years later, it was looted and it was destroyed. And they could take you to places where they think it might be today. And I'm sure you could take me to places, and I could take you to places that used to be churches, used to be thriving churches. I could take you to a place that used to be a thriving church that's now a lovely restaurant. Why? What happened? Well, I think that happens when we take our eyes off God. When we take our eyes off God, that's what happens. When we lose the wonder and the awe. When we become more impressed with our practices 
than his presence. That's what happens. So we started with the question, what is the church? And I'm starting to wrap up soon. What is the church? What is the church? What does the church really need? Well, she needs the presence of God. The presence of God. Because that's where the power of God is. And it's that what brings the awe and the wonder. Do you know what the church needs? A Holy Spirit interruption. A Holy Spirit interruption is what the church needs. I love King or 1 Kings 8. And I love how God interrupted. I love how God brings the glory cloud before the glory cloud was even a thing. And God does that. God does that because he wants to make clear to the people back then and you and I today and every other generation that comes back, comes after us that his presence is the real showstopper. Sometimes the spirit of God can come so thick and heavy and glorious that normal life stops. And you've no other option but to gaze at the glory of God. And that got me thinking, I wonder could the presence of God come so thick and heavy and glorious this week in our ordinary lives that just normal life stops, ordinary life stops, and people would see God. People would see the presence of God in what we carry, that the ordinary of our week would become extraordinary just because we carry the presence of God into our arenas of life and our spheres of influence. I wonder, could the presence of God come so thick and heavy and glorious that normal life just stopped? I wonder what God wants to interrupt. What does he want to interrupt in your life? In this church? In the churches? Journey churches? In the brands outside our brand? What does he want to interrupt? What does he want to interrupt in Northern Ireland? In Ireland? What does he want to do? What does he want to interrupt? What does he want to interrupt in your life? In your circumstances? In your community? in your culture. I love 1 Kings chapter 8. But honestly, do I really want God to interrupt my life? Am I really expecting that that would happen? Do I want it? Do I want it? Because here's the deal. I've got plans. I've got dreams. I've got stuff I need to do. I've got places I need to be today. I have a Sunday roast. I have a Sunday social life. And you're starting to make me a little bit nervous as I kind of discreetly check my watch and wonder what on earth you mean by interrupting my Sunday. Do we want it? Are we, are we happy with a fix of worship once a week on a Sunday? Just a little bit of spiritual karaoke. 45 minutes, that'll do me. I don't want anything else. Do you want to go any deeper? Just give me that 45 minutes. That's it. Tick, done. Is that what you want when God has so much more of his presence to give to you? Where have we tasted God? When have we tasted God? When have we seen the miracles of God? 
but we just default straight back into our old ways. When have we been satisfied with last week's encounter or last year's encounter? Or do you remember the big tent thing that we did in the summer and we had an encounter there? And then we just stop when God has so much more for us to experience. What does God want to interrupt? What is the church? What is the church? I'd love to invite the worship team back up just as we start to wrap this up. And I've wrestled all week with whether I was going to share this bit with you. And I, I, ju- I am, I'm just going to do it. I, I feel God, it's a picture. Um, it's a picture I got on the 16th of December last year, the 16th of December, 2022. And it links in with the sermon because what does God want to do? Interrupt. What is the church? Well, this is the picture that I had on the 16th of December. And if it's okay with you, it's I journal and I write it down word for word as I go and just to be accurate, I'm going to read it. So one is a wrestle this morning with what does God want to interrupt? What does he want to interrupt? What's that miracle you need? What's that breakthrough you need? What's that salvation that you've been praying for? What is that impossible situation in your life that you need God to interrupt? And you know what? See how God interrupts it in such a beautiful way. You need to know that. Like, we could get interrupted today by someone bursting through that door or doing something, and that's never, it's not always a nice interruption. God's presence is beautiful. And when he interrupts, it's a beautiful interruption, but he wants to interrupt your life this morning. I, I believe that for every single person in this room, he wants to interrupt your life. What does he want to interrupt? That's the question. And what is the church? What is the church that links into this picture? I had a picture. I saw this church as a place that showed the love of Jesus. And in showing the love of Jesus, people were compelled to stop or would be attracted to the presence of the Holy Spirit. This came as I thought about the location of this church. Because further down from Journey Antrim is Antrim Dump or Refuge Center. And I saw people who felt unworthy. People who felt unworthy. I saw people who wanted to throw their life away because they felt that what they carried had absolutely no value. So this was a picture of people throwing themselves or dropping themselves into the dirt and the smelly piles of rejected rubbish. They felt no one wanted them. They were done with life. They felt they had no hope. And then in the middle of the dump that symbolizes everything that's rejected, I saw Jesus. And I saw Jesus prepare a table, a banquet table. And there was those little place card names on them. And your name was on it. And I didn't get to see the names, but they were the names of the people who felt their life was over, their life was mess, their life was no value. And a table or a banquet in the middle of a dump in Antrim does not appeal to me. Does not appeal. 
But in the middle of the dump, dump, I heard Jesus say, I will build my church in the dump. I'll welcome people who feel unworthy. This table is for everyone who thought that they had no value, no hope, no future, and I will rescue them. I'll redeem them. I'll renew them. I'll restore them. I'll transform them. And I felt Jesus Jesus say, Journey, when you plant churches, plant them, spiritually speaking, next to the dumps. Because that's where God wants to interrupt. God wants to interrupt and bring beauty from ashes. God wants to interrupt and bring what we call rejected. And he wants to rescue it as his redeemed. What does God want to interrupt this morning? Holy Spirit, come. Oh, Holy Spirit, you're so welcome here. You're so welcome here. You're so welcome here. If there is sin, if there is ego, if there is rubbish, if there's things that we haven't confessed to you, we confess them to you now, knowing that you are faithful, knowing that you will forgive us. But God, what do you want to interrupt? What do you want to interrupt? How do you want to interrupt that prayer? How do you want to interrupt that life? How do you want to interrupt that lost soul that is in this place this morning? Interrupt in the name of Jesus. Interrupt. Interrupt for the prayers that we have prayed for those people for weeks, for months, for years, and we've seen no breakthrough. Holy Spirit, interrupt and bring breakthrough in this place. Bring breakthrough in this place. For those that feel unloved, unwanted, worthless, will you by your Holy Spirit interrupt and remind us of our value? You're loved. You're loved by God. So loved that he would send his only son to die for you on a cross. God, we interrupt lives in this place and we've just become complacent or where there's apathy. Interrupt in the name of Jesus. Will you interrupt our expectations this morning? Will we just turn up to do church? Forgive us. We just turn up to do a blog of worship, a blog of preach, and a little bit of block at the end of that there, and then just go home. God, to come and interrupt. Please. Please come and interrupt. We were praying upstairs this morning. And the prayer was that God would pour out his spirit down here. Then we started to pray for the the kids and youth leaders upstairs. And the prayer was that God would pour out his spirit up there the same way as he would pour out his spirit in here. But then a realization that the hearts of the kids up there, because they don't carry pride or ego, because they're kids... Is it more likely that God might pour out his spirit up there because they're open to it? They're not worried about what someone might say or think next to them? I did um, youth back in September. And when Holy Spirit comes and came on Saturday night, oh, some beautiful happened. Do you know what we do when the Holy Spirit turns up? 
we're having our conversation and the Holy Spirit comes up and we just turn away because we're embarrassed what's going on over there or we're scared of what's going over there or we can't control what's going over there. Do you know what those kids do? They just went over to see what was happening. And that's what we need to do. That's what we need to do. So Spirit, Spirit, fall in this place. I, won't, I don't want to try to whip that up. I don't want to try to manufacture that. You don't need me to. Just come. Heavenly Father, come. Spirit, come. Firefall. Come rest. Come nest in this place. Come on. Come, Holy Spirit. Come and have your way. Come and have your way. Come and have your way. We are hungry for you. Hungry for you, God. We cry out to you. Even if we don't feel like doing that this morning, cry out, cry out, cry out. He loves to meet with you. Loves to meet with you. God, I pray that you would release something in this place. More of you. More of you. More of you in this place. From the kids' room up the stairs, Holy Spirit, come rest. Come hover. Move out of that room into the upstairs. Come rest. Come hover. God sees you. God sees you. I may just pour over, pour over, pour down the stairs. Come and meet. Pour off this stage. Come and meet with us today, God. Come and meet. Holy Spirit, interrupt. Interrupt. God, we, we are desperate to leave here changed. So desperate for more of you. So desperate. So desperate. So God, come. Come out of your way. Continue with us. And we give you all the glory. And we give you all the praise. And you're not finished at half past. You're not finished at a quarter to. You're not finished when we walk through that door. You're not finished when we get into your car. You're not finished when we go home. I pray this week, the thick, heavy, glorious presence of God would interrupt. Come on. Come on. Be blessed. Be blessed.